Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden and today is a Monday. So if you're a fan of Nerd Sesh, you may know what that means. It means it's a sports history day. And today we have a very special subject to discuss. We are going to be ranking the top 10 individual seasons in NBA history. Now, first of all, A few important things to clarify. When we say the top 10 individual seasons, we're limiting this to one per person because we could probably occupy seven spots on this list just between LeBron and MJ, and that's really not all that much fun. We want to acknowledge 10 different guys here. I will say one more thing for myself, Logan, before I let you explain your criteria and get into your 10 spot because we will start from the bottom and work our way up. When we're talking about the 10 greatest individual seasons, this is not necessarily, to me, the 10 greatest specific peaks of an individual player. When I'm ranking the greatest seasons, it's pretty close to that, and there's going to be a ton of overlap. But also, I do think if you're evaluating the greatness of a season, it's not just the spectacular ability of that individual player, it's what did they accomplish as well. So I would say that whether or not you won the title is a huge factor in that decision-making, and ultimately is a reason that every player on my list actually did win at all because I think that it's hard to look back and say that is your ultimate season if you didn't achieve the ultimate objective. So that's sort of just the thing that stands out in my mind, but really we're just evaluating the best at their best for the most part. Logan, I'll throw it over to you for your 10 spot or any sort of additional comments you want to make to clarify what you're looking at here. No, on top of that, I think uh, I think you kind of checked all the boxes. The only thing I'd say, I'd say though, is nine of my guys have won the title. I have mm. one guy that didn't do it, so okay. uh, that'll be interesting to take a look at. Um, all right. To start at my 10 spot, I have Tim Duncan from 2003, and Duncan was the last guy to get on my list, obviously, here at the 10 spot. It was hard to choose between him and Kobe, and mm. I actually went, Carson, with Kobe from this year, 2003, and the ultimate deciding factor for me was, well, Duncan Spurs knocked Kobe's Lakers out of the playoffs. Uh-huh. Therefore, I'm going to go with Duncan. Duncan got it finished. Um, but So I went with Timmy D, and he put up 
23-13-3 on a 50% shooting from the field in the regular season. Led the Spurs to a 60-22 and record. Uh, obviously, like I said, they knock off the Lakers in the playoffs in, uh, in the semifinals. In the first round, they take out the Suns. In the conference finals, they take out the Mavs. In the uh, finals, they take out the Nets. Uh, Duncan put up 24-17-5 and 49 in the finals, 25-15-5 in the playoffs, and uh, led the NBA in the playoffs with 3.3 blocks during the playoffs. Had a out, I mean, an astonishing five blocks a night in yeah. the finals. Just unconscious. Uh, he was an all-star, all-NBA first team, all-defensive first team, and an MVP. Obviously, Tim Duncan's one of the greatest players of all time. He was a, a underrated post playmaker as well, had one of the greatest developed post games of all time. But what I really think makes this season stand out for Tim Duncan uh, than other years and why he must be on this list is because it, it wasn't like the original title in 99 when he could rely on David Robinson. Yeah. It wasn't like the title in 05 or 07 or even you know 2013 when he had a really great supporting cast. Uh, Duncan had help. I'm not saying that he didn't. You know, he had Tony Parker putting up 15 and night. He had Steven Jackson here, David Robinson, Manu. I don't know. He didn't have... Uh, Parker wasn't there yet I, to be his real true co-star. Yeah. And I think that is ultimately the selling factor. I mean, and it doesn't really change in the playoffs. Obviously, like I said, Duncan, you're 25 and 15 a night. Parker's putting up 15. Stack's getting you 13. After that, Manu and Robinson are under 10. You've got Malik Rose giving you 9 a night. Duncan didn't have the help that he had in these later years, and I think that is what makes this so outstanding for Tim Duncan and why it really makes you show that he could carry a team by himself. And I'm not saying he did it, but this was the year that... uh, moreover than uh, any of the other ones that he led this squad. Absolutely. This was not a championship caliber supporting cast. And I would agree with you. This was the year that he won a title without another true star. In 99, Robinson was still pretty much at that star level. And obviously, 05 and on, you have arguably two co-stars if you want to throw Manu into that conversation, which you probably should. He certainly played at that level. And definitely a great team defense. Definitely some role guys who could step up and make big plays in the Bowens and the Captain Jacks of the world. But... Duncan was on another level and I think had one of the absolute greatest postseasons of all time. So I think he's a lock to be here. I have him as well, just a little bit higher, but I'll get to sort of my spiel on him shortly. It'll be pretty similar to yours for the most part. But my number 10 spot was the one that I easily agonized over the most. And Logan, I think maybe we always do the honorable mentions at the end, but it might be worth touching on some here just because, as you mentioned, with Kobe being a close cut, it's interesting to me that you chose 03. Personally, I probably would have gone with 09 Kobe, but this is the tough part about what I said with the ultimate objective being a championship. I think 08 was probably the best Kobe ever was. I think that that was the season in which he most blended his dynamic athleticism of his youth with just the ridiculous shot making that obviously allowed him to extend his prime for so long and also carried a supporting cast that just was not at the level of his two championship teams of 09 and 2010 to still a really high level of success and obviously a finals appearance, even though they had Powell by the end. For much of that regular season, it was not a good supporting cast, but I don't have any version of Kobe on my list. No, I mean, that's interesting. I don't have Kobe either. The reason, I want to clarify why I went with 03 Mm -hmm. over uh, any other season. Like you said, I could have gone with any year from 06 to 10, and it would have been reasonable, obviously, with him going for over 35 points per game that season, putting up tremendous scoring numbers and then winning the title. The reason I went with 03, we just saw, I think, a different kind of efficient Kobe Mm. um, that we had never really seen before. He had the fifth highest three-point percentage of any uh, 30-point-per-game score in regular season history. Um, He had the uh, fourth highest three-point percentage of any 30-point-per-game score in playoff history. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think that efficiency... Uh, as a score. It's something that we rarely saw out of Kobe this year, though he really showcased it. And I think this was the first year 
maybe not the first year with Shaq, but the year where you can definitively say that he took over as the team's leader instead of Shaq. I think Shaq led them. Uh, Kobe led the Lakers in uh, scoring in the playoffs in all but two games. Mm. So I don't know. I just thought that Kobe definitively led this team this year with Shaq on the squad, but also yeah. was just at like his peak athletically and mm-hmm. uh, defensively. It's just hard for me when you have a season in which he does get it done and he doesn't have Shaquille O'Neal versus a season where he doesn't get it done and he does have Shaquille O'Neal. Like Maybe that's overly simplistic, but I also think Kobe had a more refined game by the time he was 28, 29 years old. Although, as you mentioned, 03, just a freak athletic version, no question. And I will add, though, as well, he had a pretty good supporting cast in 09 and 10. I'm not saying oh, that Oh, a great equates. supporting yeah. cast by 09 and 010. By 2008, though, not so much. I talked about this in the most controversial MVPs YouTube video I just did, but they didn't have Ariza for most of that year. They didn't have Bynum for most of that year. They only got Powell after the trade deadline, and they still won 57 games and were the one seed out West. But again, I did not choose that season, and I probably would have gone with 09 just because I think his performance in those finals ultimately solidify that as the campaign that will be more remembered. And You have one final objective. It is to win it all. And that is why everybody on my list did win it all. And so I'll talk about some of the more close cuts I had. But first, I'll just get out with who I have at 10. I have Bill Russell from 1962. And initially, I thought maybe this would be a lock for my list because I thought this is definitely the best season in Bill Russell's history. He was MVP in the regular season, beating out Wilt, scoring 50 points per game. Big O, putting up a 30-point triple-double. Averaged 18.9, 23.6, and 4.5 on 46% shooting from the field. That was the second highest mark of his career. The Celtics won 60 games, as they tended to do back in these days. But then really what sets this campaign apart, I would say, is his playoff performance. It was the only year that he led the team in playoff scoring, I believe. Averaged a career-high 22.4 points per game, along with 26 boards, 5 assists per game. And obviously, you're going to look at those raw numbers and say, outside of the rebounding, which is really just a product of the era, the incredibly high pace, the high volume of missed shots, you're going to say that doesn't compare to the all-time greats. But when you are considering that this is a guy we consider to be a top five player of all time, because I think he is far and away the greatest defensive player of all time, and we've already had that discussion, when he is also able to be the leading offensive man for a team and score efficiently as he did, and also playmake at a really high level, that is amplifying the defensive value that you see when, for example, in the first round, he held, he holds Wilt 17 points per game below his regular season average. Keep in mind, the regular season average was 50 points per game, but still holds him 17 points below that, cutting off a, a basically a third of his scoring production on under 47% shooting, cutting his efficiency there as well. And then in the finals, Russell averaged 23, 27, and 6 on 54% from the field, 74% from the line. And keep in mind, this was a series in which the Lakers shot 41% as a team. The Celtics shot under 44%. Russell is leading the charge, shooting 54% from the field. Now, he did obviously have a ridiculous supporting cast as he did throughout the 60s. You have Kuzi, you have Heinsohn, you have Sam Jones, you have Frank Ramsey, you have Casey Jones, you have Satch Sanders. This is really the intersection of those two eras in a lot of ways with everybody really playing a relevant role except for Havlicek, who's not quite there yet. But I just think, although obviously Russell's longevity is the reason I think he is right up there as a top five player of all time, and maybe his absolute peak isn't quite as high as some of the other guys here, I still think it's pretty darn high. And I think when he was producing offensively like he did this season, and particularly in these playoffs, that's enough to get him on my list. I think uh, Russell beating out Chamberlain and Big O is definitely a big selling point Mm -hmm. in this MVP argument. It's crazy that that individual season yeah the I, I left bill russell off my list and very fair the reason i did it i just think when you look at bill russell in the scope of 
I guess the modern NBA, and this is me holding stuff that I shouldn't hold against him because I should be comparing him with his peers. Mm-hmm. His game's just old, man. Like when I compare him to dislike. a when I com- dislike when I compare him to a to a Kevin Durant to a Nikola Jokic, man. Who am I gonna put on? Like, I How know can I you sh- say that Logan. Humans are so much more evolved. The game has developed so far. Think about what religion was in the year zero BC when people were being stoned versus now. Things evolve. Everything gets better, particularly humans when they're playing a sport in which strategy and skill develops. I completely agree, and that is ultimately why I left him off my list. How about that religious comparison? Completely out of pocket for me. But I'm just saying that's not fair, I don't think. No, it's not fair, but I don't care. It's my list. I do what I want. All right. This is just, (laughs) I believe Max Kellerman first said this, or maybe I found this out myself. But it's like Jesse Owens would have been bested by every person to run at the Olympic trials for like the past couple decades. Does that mean that he's not arguably the greatest sprinter of all time or the greatest runner of all time? No, I see what your apples to apples comparison exactly. is doing here. It's a valid point. I'm just saying, yeah. I'm, I'm. Yeah, I just disagree with this, Logan. You know how much of an advocate I am for the old guys. You can't expect someone to be ahead of their time. However, I do want to talk about the guy who I most deeply consider. He is one of those modern unicorns who you literally mentioned I had 2017 Kevin Durant in this spot for quite some time, which I think is a complicated case to make because obviously the Warriors won 67 games. They were one of the greatest teams ever, arguably the greatest team ever, I would say. But KD didn't have some insane regular season, only put up 25, 8, and 5. Now the efficiency was ridiculous. Career high, true shooting percentage, 54% from the field, 37.5% from three, 87.5% from the line. They were 51 and 11 in games he played, outscored opponents by 16 points per 100 with him out there on the floor. He was part of what was at that point tied for the greatest offense of all time. I think it was arguably, arguably the best defensive Durant. It was the most efficient Durant and had legitimate playmaking value, acquiesced into a system, all that, and really just had one of the greatest postseasons ever. 68% true shooting in the playoffs, 56-44-89 splits while you're putting up 28.5 points per game, shot 60% from mid-range in the finals, better than 35-8-5 on 56-47-93 splits. And to me, the postseason production, and just knowing what peak Kevin Durant was, I would say after Michael Jordan, the greatest scorer ever, probably the most versatile scorer ever. It was tough for me to look in the mirror and turn that down, but at the same time, I don't know. Is that really a full, complete season compared to these other guys who everybody on my list won MVP? Kevin Durant was not first-team All-NBA. He played 62 games, all the things I've pointed out. Ultimately, I decided the postseason was not enough to make up for that. The efficiency was not enough to make up for that. And maybe if he's not in that incredible situation, we don't even consider this the best version of KD. I think there's a strong case to be made for 2013-14 when he had that MVP season in which Russ missed a bunch of games. But that's a separate tangent. What do you think, though? Any compelling arguments there for you with some KD consideration? I have Kevin Durant on my list from that very season. There you go. I guess that that does it for us. Okay, very interesting. Well, I guess maybe I got ahead of the horse there. But we'll talk about when we we'll talk about that when we get there then. So who do you have at number nine? This is another weird one that maybe I'm a little out of pocket for having on my list, and I mistakenly told you at the start of our podcast, Carson, that I only had one person who didn't win the finals. I have two. That's just because they haven't happened yet. I have oh. 2021 Nikola Jokic right here at my nine spot. Right now they're 34 and 19. You know all of this. He's putting up 26, 11, and 9 on 56% shooting from the field, 42% shooting from deep. And he's averaging one and a half steals per game. But what I just think is so special about Nikola Jokic, Carson, is he's a he's a chess piece that we haven't seen before, right? Mm-hmm. He has got this. He's got this. He's a true uh, playmaker out of the post, like we've never seen before. 
while possessing a ability to make any pass on the floor. He handles the rock at the top of the key, and that's why I think that's what really makes him so special is every set, he's bringing that center out of, out of the top, and it just changes the game because he can handle. He's bringing, excuse me, out of the top. He's bringing the center out of the paint. Mm-hmm. opening up everything for him on the floor just because centers haven't handled before. This is something that is... Are you just going to quote my entire video? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I just think that there are so many things I'm just that kidding. He does everything well offensively in a way that we haven't seen before. Plus, yes. a big factor of this case is Nikola Jokic is literally the greatest pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop, pick-and-whatever-you-want-to-do player on offense we've ever seen. That is what I think really makes you know makes him stand out from other type of big men. Um there's some other stats here. Minimum two three-pointers attempted per game. Jokic has the fifth highest three-point percentage of any 25-point-per-game scorer ever. He's a center again, folks. He can do everything on the floor. He has the 12th highest true shooting percentage of any 25-point-per-game scorer of all time. And this season, Carson, I think if he wins the MVP, if he comes away with the finals, I don't think it's preposterous to have Jokic at number seven on my list. I can very well, or excuse me, number nine. I can see him bumping up to number seven, number six on my list if he checks all of these boxes by the end of the year. So maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit by having him here already at my nine spot without playing through this full season. He hasn't even captured MVP yet. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe these crocs behind the NBA are going <laughs> to give it to James Harden or Damian Lillard or LeBron or Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm jumping the gun here. I don't care. This is one of the greatest players we've ever seen, and I think it's time. I think we can recognize it early. I just love how you always take my takes a look, little dude, bit further even, than I do. Look, look at this. I, perfect framing here, right? I go into a video, a guy mm-hmm. that Carson made a video about, right after you bring up a guy that played for your team, you literally make the case. Uh-huh. And I do have him on my list in 2017 KD. So, yes. It's very interesting how these things always play out. But we're generally like-minded on this stuff, which is what's always interesting. I cannot get there until the title is secured. And the reason for that is I don't have arguably the greatest regular season ever on this list because the title was not secured. And we'll get into that, I'm sure, because I'm pretty confident that you will have him and then we'll talk about it at that point. Look, I believe Nikola Jokic is obviously an offensive weapon like we have never seen in the history of this game. He is a LeBron. He is a Magic Johnson with juiced up scoring from the center position. Yes. We'll, we'll clip that. That's it. That's all you need to say, Carson. Perfect. No, what I will say is that if I'm going to be consistent logically and not have anybody else who didn't win the title, even if I think he's having the greatest offensive regular season of any big man ever, he has to actually go out there and win the title ultimately. Or, I don't know, maybe if he averaged something ridiculous and it was clearly by no fault of his own that they didn't win it, then we can talk. There really weren't that many that I considered where it was like, oh, you didn't win the title, so that was the disqualifier, just a couple. Because generally, I think if you are the best player in the world by that much, oftentimes you do come away with the title. Jokic is an honorable mention already. I do feel comfortable saying that outside of a collapse yesterday against the Celtics in which he decided that he just wanted to stop playing and Mike Malone pulled him from the game. Although I will say the reason they were down initially had nothing to do with him. The bench let up like a 15-0 run when he was off the court. But outside of that, he's night to night, just utterly ridiculous and like nothing I've ever seen in my life. So I can't really say you're insane. I would just say let's let the full season play out and then maybe we can add this guy to our list. And even then, I'm not sure. But the 10 spot is open. It's up for grabs for me. They're going crazy in the chat right now. They're so angry at you for not having Jokic on the list. All right. Well, I'm sorry. I think everybody knows how I feel about him. He is literally my dream basketball player to watch. I think he embodies everything that is right about basketball. But I can't get all the way there with you just yet. So can I ask you something? So you leaned more because traditionally I feel like when we're ranking these guys, you go more based off skill set. You know, I guess what they can do overall on the floor. You went with more accomplishments, 
It's just been 53 games, Logan. We don't know what happens in the playoffs. That is so important to me and my criteria of what ultimately is the mark you left on the season, and we don't even know that yet. I do. The Nuggets are winning the finals. And if they do, he'll in all likelihood be in my top 10, and I'm serious about that because this season is that special. But I can't take what is 60% of a regular season normally and put that on my list. Carson, did you just say Jokic is my dream man? No, I didn't. I said he's my dream basketball player to watch. <laughs> but he is dashingly handsome, and he has Serbo-Croatian good looks, as my father would say. So, sure, he's up there. Definitely, no doubt about it. All right, so we just talked about one of my current favorite players. At number nine, I have who I would say for a long time was my favorite basketball player ever at number nine, and that is Tim Duncan from 03, which obviously you just talked about. So, yes, the regular season numbers aren't going to sparkle and shine like some of the guys on this list, but the impact on winning, undeniable. The Spurs were 14.7 points per 100 better with Duncan on the floor than off it. That's an unconscious number. They were 16-22 with, as you mentioned, 20-year-old Tony Parker as their second best guy. He barely won MVP this year over KG. I actually think KG has a pretty good case for regular season MVP that I may talk about in a future YouTube video. Wink. First team all defense was the centerpiece of the number seven offensive basketball and the number three defense. And then I would just say, as I touched on, had maybe the greatest postseason ever. You already read out the raw stats, but the Spurs were also 23 points per 100 better with him over 24 games. Playoff on-off splits can be a little sketchy, but when it's 24 games, I don't know, that's a lot of games to draw from. And nobody else on the Spurs averaged 15 a game in the playoffs. So again, just not a traditional championship-level supporting cast, especially for a guy like Duncan, who you would think is not designed to be that offensive centerpiece and put up whatever he needs to as far as scoring every single night. He's supposed to be sort of the most important part of the machine, and this season he stepped out of that box and was just basically everything for this team. Puts up 28-12-5 in a series versus Shaq and the Lakers, then puts up 28-17-6 in the Western Conference Finals versus the Mavs, basically going head-to-head with two of his greatest peers of this era in Dirk and Shaq. Dirk missed three games in that series but still was utterly dominant. And yeah, you mentioned, had one of the greatest finals ever. 24-17-5-5 as averages. Are you kidding me? He is one of the 10 great greatest defensive players ever. This was him at his absolute peak. He's one of the 10 greatest players ever. And this was him at his absolute peak. And he did it all in the best moments when his team needed it. And it was a remarkable response compared to the year prior when I think they lost second round, which obviously as far as Spurs dynasty standards go, is a little bit disappointing. Not this year. He was otherworldly and I think is a must-have on this list. All right. As you are typing away, responding to people in the chat there, who do you have at number eight? No, I will say uh, Tim Duncan also holding Shaq in that series is pretty impressive. Another big reason why he got on my list. Mm. Ironically, though, at my number eight spot here is Shaquille O'Neal from 2000. Uh, He led the league in points per game here in the regular season at nearly 30 a night, nearly 14 boards, nearly four assists. Also led the league in field goal percentage as well. He shot a nice 52% from the free throw line, too. Yes, sir. Shaq was knocking him down. Three blocks a night, too. He was an elite rim protector and... I really toyed with having Shaq way higher on this list just because I don't think we've ever seen postseason dominance yeah. like this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because like you get a guy like 2017 KD, and he's just slithery and has the greatest scoring skill set of all, all time. Shaq's a bull in a china shop, right? He is just barreling through guys. He puts up 46-17 and 17 in Game 1 against the Kings. They knock him out in 5. Um, he puts up 41 in Game 1 in a seven-game series against the Trailblazers in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, they took out the Suns in five in the semis as I skipped over. And in the finals, Carson, they take out the Pacers in six. He absolutely dogged Rick Smiths all series long. He puts up three mm-hmm. 40-point games and three 30-point games on his yeah. head. In the playoffs, 31 points a night leading the playoffs, 15 and a half boards a night leading the playoffs, three assists. 
Um, and then in the finals, 29-13-3 on 60% uh, on sixty from the field. Again, 47% from behind the line. Uh, really uncharacteristic for Shaq. He's a pretty great free throw shooter. Um, yeah. On the season, he was an all-star, all-NBA first team, all-defensive second team as well. And I think, I don't know, that's something that made this season special. Later in his career, we see Shaq become a defensive liability. This one, he was a genuine help, obviously just not as a switcher, but just as a pure rim protector. Yeah. But the reason that you have to have him on here. Shaq's the greatest low-post presence of all time. I think he would dominate in any era. He dominated specifically in the toughest for big men ever. He was just, he's a force unlike, uh, you know, that we've ever seen before, but uh, there wasn't really anything against him. It's just he doesn't really make his teammates better. He's not a dominant playmaker. That's why I wouldn't have him higher. He wasn't a, this was the best playmaking Shaq we've ever seen, as I see you bite your lip. He's, (laughs) I'm just push, I would push back a little bit. I would say he had tremendous gravity this season and was literally a must-double-team every time he touched the ball, and he was more than okay at dissecting that. When I say playmaker, I don't mean it. I mean it in the tradition—I'm sorry. I should have expanded on it. I don't mean that in the traditional sense of handling Mm -hmm. the rock and finding guys. As a post-playmaker, Shaq was excellent. But Mm -hmm. uh, this season, I think you have to have Shaq on here. He's just dominance like we've never seen before. Well, and I think that when you talk about dominance that we've never seen before, for me, it probably deserves a little bit higher than number eight. So I have Shaq a few spots higher. I'll touch on that. But yeah, I think that Shaq is alongside LeBron and MJ. And I say this every time, the greatest finals performer ever. He's certainly in the top three. I think he's probably third, but I do think he makes a case for second because in that three-year stretch, he just easily averaged 35 and 15 basically every time out there. And it's because his peak was really almost as high as anybody we've ever seen. And so, yeah, I'll talk about more Shaq when I have him, but I've got him a few spots higher. At number eight, Logan, this is one that I think I feel a little conflicted about. I have Larry Bird from 1986, and the reason I feel a little bit conflicted is because I would say, as far as a multiple-year peak, Bird probably belongs higher than this. If you're taking 84 through 86 or 87, I think there's a case he had one of the five highest multiple-year peaks of all time. And also, this was really one of the best teams ever. The Celtics were 67-15, and and we know that they just stormed through the playoffs as well. And I think I had them number three when we did our greatest teams of all time list. But I still have Bird down here at eight, and I'll sort of get into why. It's really more about the guys I have immediately above him. There's nothing wrong with Bird's case. It's just in some ways not quite as outstanding in this individual season as the two above it. I'm just, I'm I'm shocked, man. I can't believe that you gave Shaq over Bird. Yeah. Oh, I think that the peak version of Shaq... It was just a level of, again, gravity and one-on-one unstoppability. And then also that ability to actually impact the game as a rim protector. Like, yeah, he was a lumbering fella, but blocking three shots a game and was definitely a factor down there. I just think it was a slightly different level. Now, whose career am I taking? I'm taking Larry Bird's career. And maybe even whose multiple-year peak am I taking? Probably Larry Bird. But 2000 Shaq was just a different beast. Anyways, so this season, Bird put up 26-10-7 on 50-42-90 splits. That was the best free throw percentage in the league. He got 73 of 78 first place MVP votes, was obviously the best player in basketball at this point. And the Celtics had the third best offensive rating and the best defensive rating in the league. And obviously, Larry at his best was just an otherworldly offensive player, an elite post scorer, an elite playmaker out of there, an elite perimeter scorer and playmaker out of there. He could kill you in transition, so fundamentally unselfish, dominant in the clutch, one of the best contested shot makers we've ever seen. I mean, truly a top five offensive player of all time at his best. And he was pretty much at his best this season. In the playoffs, put up 26-9-8 on 52-41-93 splits, 61.5% true shooting. And in the finals, 
put up 24, 10, and 9.5, along with 2.7 steals per game. Obviously, always had those inst- instincts as a cerebral, quick-handed defender as well. I can't really make an argument against Larry Bird. I think he had a remarkable, remarkable season, and I won't really be able to justify having him at 8 until I get into the cases of the guy I have above him. So, really, that's it. I mean, Larry at his best, again, was like nothing we've really ever seen before. That kind of blend of playmaking and scoring. I mean, we've seen it in the days since in a LeBron James. We saw kind of a version of it before Larry in like a Rick Barry, but he was certainly an elevation of it. And we're seeing it now again with guys like Luka and Jokic who can just blend truly otherworldly scoring and playmaking, but there have not been many of them in history. And Larry was one of the absolute best. And maybe that's why I leaned Larry. I don't know. When I looked at directly, I don't know why I'm going Shaq and Bird here uh, this early, but when I look at them directly, I just want Bird's skill set. And that ultimately, I guess, is what I valued more than Shaq's raw skills. I'm questioning, though, should I have? Because Yeah, I mean, let me just ask you this. What does it tell you when a dude can single-handedly stomp the opponent for three straight years and put up numbers like we've never seen before? Because that's what Shaq did. And that's why I think he deserves to be higher. Yeah, I don't know. I have some I have some numbers for Bird. I'll get into my case for him when we okay. get to him. But I, it's just it's just interesting. I figured you were a Larry Bird guy, Carson. I love Larry. I absolutely love Larry. And that's what I'm saying. If we were to do a three, four-year peak, I think he would be higher for me. But there are a couple dudes whose individual seasons, I think, maybe just the degree of difficulty was a little bit higher. They carried a little bit less. I mean, that's part of this. Yeah, the Celtics won 67 games. But look at this supporting cast. I mean, it's obviously just a ridiculously loaded group. What? What, Shaq didn't have Rick Fox? <laughs> Shaq did have Rick Fox. That's actually a fair point. But I, listen, you'll understand hopefully a little more when I get into the guys I actually have immediately above him because these were tough lines to draw. And I think that for me, sort of six through eight were initially somewhat interchangeable, but then I sort of established a hierarchy. And you know what? Larry Bird had Cornbread Maxwell, and I will be holding that against him. Actually, I don't think Cornbread was on the <laughs> team anymore in 86. Doesn't matter. He deserves a shout out. <laughs> All right. So, who do you have at number seven? At number seven, I have Kareem Abdul Jabbar from 1971. And I don't know. It's interesting to go with my centers here. I didn't really know do I go with Shaq? Do I go with Kareem? I ultimately went with Kareem, I guess, because it's more of a skills thing. Also, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just felt like Kareem's a little better as a shot blocker uh, than Shaq in general. He's more athletic. Um, they don't have block numbers back then. Uh, Kareem would go on to block, you know, four to five shots a night in the coming years. So I assume that yeah. those totals were similar for this one. Um, Kareem led the Bucks to a 66 and 16 record in the regular season. He put up nearly 32 points a night, leading the NBA to go along with 16 boards, three assists on 57% shooting. In the playoffs, he drops down slightly to just under 27 points a night and 17 boards. But they, the Bucks, completely ran through the playoffs. Now we did have some help in the Big O, but. Uh, Kareem was so clearly the leader of this squad. They take out the Warriors and Lakers in uh, five games each in the first two rounds. And in the finals, they completely sweep a, I mean, a woefully way less talented Bullets team. In the finals, Kareem puts up 27, 18 and a half and nearly three assists a night on 60% shooting. This season, he was an all-star, all-NBA first team, all-defensive second team, and uh, he won the MVP. And he earned finals MVP. And I just think that when it comes to Shaq and Kareem directly, because... I don't know, the, the distinction between them two. Kareem's postgame is so much more well-developed. He was a more athletic rim protector, in my opinion. And I don't know. I guess I, I thought who had more help? It's comparable, I think. Shaq had a uh, pretty young Kobe. What, Derek Fisher? Who else is there in 2000? Yeah, I mean, 
It's Glenn Rice is probably their third best player. It is Rick Fox, as you mentioned. It's not much. Yeah, I don't know. The, the supporting <laughs> cast argument doesn't... I mean, re- he had Kobe, right? That's something. Yeah, it's something. But Kobe wasn't what he would turn also into. Also true. Um, I don't know. I guess at the end of the day here, maybe individually, maybe I don't think that Kareem was ever as dominant as Shaq once was, but uh, Kareem was more talented than Shaq, and I guess that is what I ultimately rewarded here is he had a more uh, well-developed post game, was a little better athletically, was just a little more limber. I How don't know. How can you say... Okay, limber is different from better athletically. I mean, Shaq was the embodiment of peak athleticism in sports. Like, maybe not as far as aesthetics. Bro, over LeBron. As far as someone who can single-handedly dominate because of their physical gifts, if you have the strength of Shaquille O'Neal, yes, that is part of athleticism. That's, I, I consider that to be different. I don't okay. Know. Like, Agility, maybe, is what you're looking okay. for. Yes. I mean, Kareem in 71 was a great athlete, and that's something that I think is too often forgotten just because, obviously, people associate him with 80s Lakers and where he's balding and, like, just is relying on the skyhook every time out. But, no, he was a freak back in those days. Yeah, he's fantastic. I think the margin between him and Shaq is somewhat slim. I have them both higher. On my number seven, though, I have another center. And, Logan, I have a feeling that maybe you don't have this guy on your list at all. I have Akeem Olajuwon from 1994 here, and I think that there's a case actually for 95 Akeem just because obviously they repeat as champions that year, and he has an absurd postseason, one of the best ever. First off, everybody remembers, shreds David Robinson, who was rewarded with that year's MVP, and overall puts up 33, 10, 4.5, and 2.8 blocks per game on 54% from the field. Ultimately, though, a little more disappointing in the regular season, had help from Clyde, so I'm not going to go with 95. I'm going to go with 94. I think that was the better campaign. He was MVP. He was Depoy. Of course, we hadn't seen that done again until Giannis just did it last year. And in the regular season, put up 27, 12, 3.6 assists per game, 3.7 blocks per game on 53% from the field, won 58 games with Otis Thorpe as his second leading scorer. Sam Cassell was a rookie, not even really that relevant on this team yet. Just a miserable, miserable supporting cast by championship standards. One of the weakest ever. They had a league average offense because Akeem, as remarkable as he was, didn't have that sort of Jokic-level value of elevating everybody around him, or I would say even Shaq-level gravity because you have to double him. He's so unstoppable. Akeem was an elite, elite scorer, but it's a lot of skilled shot-making. It's a lot of one-on-one work out of the high post that you know, is not going to necessarily elevate everybody around you in the same way, but it certainly elevated them enough. So, he's probably the most skilled post-scorer ever. I think there's a strong case to be made. I'd say it's him and Dirk, the best modern defensive player, and he single-handedly propelled this team to elite status because of that defensive value, which I just don't think you can understate. When we're talking about a center, that is such a large part of your impact, and I guess that's where I compare it to Larry. Who's the better offensive player? It's Larry. It's not close, and if we're comparing wings, then defense one-on-one is a factor. It's not going to be a huge factor, though. But when you're talking about a center who could change everything on that end, and I'll talk about how much he really did that in this playoff run, I do think that really matters. So, in the playoffs, put up 29-11, 4, and 4 blocks per game on 52% from the field, 80% from the line. Beat the Blazers, Suns, and Jazz, and root, obviously, a couple teams that were very relevant in this decade, in the Suns who had just been to the finals, and the Jazz who admittedly in a slightly different version would be there a couple times later in the decade. In the finals, put up 27, 9, 4, and 4 blocks per game. And Logan led every single game in scoring, as I believe he did next year as well, which is just a ridiculous testament to how much he carried these teams, as much as really anybody in NBA history has to their respective titles. 
Meanwhile, he holds Patrick Ewing to 19 points per game on 36% from the field. The Knicks as a whole shot under 41% because they were going up against the greatest modern rim protector. And you have to remember, when I see he's averaging 27 points per game in this series, nobody cracked 95 points in a game all series. The Rockets averaged 86 points per game. So putting up 27 points per game in this series is like putting up 34 if you're, say, extrapolating it to today when teams average like 110 or whatever. The literal math is... 27 out of 86 is like 34 out of 110. So putting it into context for a more typical era or a higher scoring era in basketball history, it's that ridiculous. And his second leading score in the finals was Vernon Maxwell on 13.4 points per game on 36.5% shooting. And his third leading score was Robert Ory on 32.4% shooting. So I just think the peak two-way value of Akeem and his ability to carry this team that just had no business winning a title is hard to argue against. And you could say maybe... I don't know, that it's in some way discounted because the best player and the best team in basketball were not around this season, but it was still a really good era in NBA history, and just his ability to be that dominant scoring offensive centerpiece who can, again, lead every single game in scoring, double his second highest scoring teammate, and still win the title, and then change everything defensively, shut down one of the best offensive centers of this era completely, I think that's too much to deny for a single season. And so that's what he did in 94. That's one of the greatest single seasons ever. Who's higher all time on my rankings? Larry Bird or Akeem Olajuwon? Larry Bird. Who's multiple year peak am I taking? Larry Bird. But 94, I would say, was one of the most unique championship runs we've ever seen. And I think he did it with the weakest supporting cast of anybody on this list that was arguably the most dependent on one player of anybody on this list. I did Akeem dirty, man. You don't have him. I figured you Dude, did. Dude, this is one of the weakest supporting casts on this list. As you mentioned, he completely Ashton Kutcher punked Patrick <laughs> Ewing in the finals. 36%? Yeah. I'm a fool. Nah, don't be so hard on yourself. I'm trying to think. So who did you have at 10? It was Duncan. I don't, don't want to take Duncan. Duncan off, though. Don't boot Duncan. Akeem is 11 for me then now. I kind of wish I hadn't spoiled that KD was on your list somewhere because... Me too. I was steaming mad over here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You could have just sat there stone-faced, I guess, and not answered the question. But that probably wouldn't have been great television. Because we are on TV. We're actually on NBC. We're network TV. All right. So I have Akeem at 7. You don't have him at all. And you hate yourself for it. Who do you have at 6, though? KD time. Okay. I have 2017 Kevin Durant here at my sixth spot. As you mentioned, as you broke down, Carson, the regular season, largely unimpressive. He shot under 40% yeah. from deep, 25 points a night. It's the playoffs. It is yeah. the playoffs and the finals performance. What does it for me and what puts KD on my list in the inset playoffs? 28.5 points a night, nearly eight boards, four assists. On 55, 44, 89 splits in the finals, 35 Eight and five on 55, 47, 92 shooting splits. And there is the argument, Carson, like you said, that can be made that we don't see this version of KD without the surrounding pieces. Uh-huh. When I considered that, and that's why I think maybe I overlooked Hakeem a little bit, mm-hmm. I didn't really consider a situation nearly as much as I should have uh-huh. for a lot of these guys. I was looking at KD individually. This KD may be the greatest scorer I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, three-point line included. I, I would never, you know, discredit Michael Jordan like that. But when you're talking about the context of modern NBA, Kevin Durant, this version of Kevin Durant is the greatest scorer I think we've ever seen in the modern NBA. And again, as you mentioned, he was All-NBA second team this year. He didn't win MVP, but he does take home that finals MVP. 
this season he was just one of the most like efficient, cold-blooded killers we've yeah. ever seen. 65.1 true shooting percentage in the regular season, 12th highest true shooting percentage of any 25-point-per-game scorer. He was 68% point, uh, true shooting percentage in the playoffs, the 6th highest uh, percentage of any 25-point-per-game scorer in playoff history, and he's one of four players to average 35-5 and five in the finals. Yeah. Carson, can you name those four guys? Rick Barry. Incorrect. Really? Yeah. 35 and 5. Okay, Michael Jordan. Correct. LeBron James. Correct. One old guy. Jerry West. Ding, ding, ding. Rattle it off. And he's one of two players in playoff history to average 28 points a night and and shoot over 44% from deep. The only other guy is Donovan Mitchell, and he played half the games that Kevin Durant did. This Kevin Durant was an unparalleled, efficient scorer in playoff and final history, and that is why I think you have to have him here. I agree with everything you've said. This is why I had him at my 10 spot for pretty much the entire time until the buzzer. Something just felt wrong about it. I don't know, man. You miss 20 games. You're on a team that can be the best team in basketball without you. Like the Warriors very conceivably could have won the title without Kevin Durant. That's not at all out of the question. If you just keep Harrison Barnes into the mix, maybe even without Harrison Barnes, who knows? And yeah, he was otherworldly. He had one of the best playoffs ever. And generally, I did heavily weight the postseason because I think when you play the most important basketball is what really, really matters. There was just something that ended up holding me back. But I may need to go back to the drawing board and think about whether or not I want him at 10. I wouldn't have him higher than that because I think there are too many guys who single-handedly carried a team in a way that KD didn't. I mean, Steph, in 95% of years, would have been the finals MVP this year. He was ridiculously productive as well. And obviously had a phenomenal regular season and is so pivotal to everything the Warriors did. And you could argue is more valuable in putting them in the position to be a true contender than KD. Now, KD was certainly the better player when it came down to the home stretch. And we saw that he was just ridiculous, but I don't know. I guess I just favored the guys who I felt like maybe had more complete regular seasons. As I said, everybody on my list was MVP and also won the title and yeah, guys who also maybe just had to do a little bit more by themselves. But I can't really make a strong case against KD other than the regular season is just not up to par. Because playoff-wise, it could be one of the five best postseasons ever. I would say is definitely one of the five best finals ever. Yeah, and I mean, as you mentioned, I weighted this way heavily more in the playoffs. Obviously, yeah. I would have had to, but I just think... Except that- for Nikola Jokic, who of course hasn't been to the playoffs. Hush. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know, man. When I thought that this version of KD, it looked like yeah. he could just flip a switch. Like, and it, it looked like he did. He yeah. said, this playoffs, I'm mad. I haven't got my ring yet. I'm hungry. I'm going to prove I can be the best player on a championship team. And he just flipped it. Again, you can make all the arguments you want about how talented this Warriors team was. At the end of the day, this was, KD's a killer, man. I really may want to put him back in my 10 spot. Because I agree with, I mean, I would say this was really maybe the only time we've ever seen a superstar scoring this efficiently, this consistently, this dominantly in the biggest moments for an all-time team. It's really a remarkable campaign. So I can't hold it against you really at all. Having him on your list at the very least six maybe is a little higher than I would, but I can't really nitpick that all that much. Okay. My number six is Magic Johnson from 1987. And I think that this is far and away the best year of Magic's career. It was the year that we saw him really ramp up his aggression as a scorer to a level we hadn't seen previously. In the regular season, averaged 24-6-12 on 52% from the field, 85% from the line, 61% true shooting, was always so efficient as a scorer. 
dominated the MVP race, got 65 of 78 first place votes. This was the best Lakers team ever, 65 and 17. They had at that point the best offense ever, a record that lasted for 32 years until it was ultimately broken by the 18-19 Warriors. And that to me is a primary reason I have Magic on this list. It's that he elevated teammates like pretty much no one ever and was also an elite, efficient, high volume scorer this season. And he did it with 39-year-old Kareem, with Worthy as his second guy, but Worthy wasn't even a 20-point-per-game scorer. And it's not like this was 88 when Worthy went supernova in those finals and won finals MVP. Worthy was just really good throughout most of this year. And so I just think that level of scoring aggression and efficiency and then also being maybe the greatest passer ever, I don't know why I said maybe, the greatest (laughs) passer ever, makes for maybe the greatest offensive player ever, period, point blank. He's unstoppable in transition, obviously. You think Showtime, you think running in the break, you think Magic, either taking it to the cup or kicking to a driving player for a dunk every single time with flash. Time after time, he delivered there. Out of the post, just had really pretty simple but unstoppable moves and was just abusing guys time and again down there. It was just unstoppable across the board. And in the playoffs, did not get any worse. Maybe even got better. Put up 22-8-12 on 54% from the field. Only averaged 2.8 turnovers per game. The Lakers went 15-3. and And then in the finals, had one of the greatest performances ever was the leader for the Lakers in scoring, rebounding, assists, and steals. Put up 26-8-13 and on 54% shooting to beat Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics, obviously, the ultimate other team of this era. And so this is kind of like what I said between Akeem and Larry, except I think it's closer between Magic and Larry because they're such all-time contemporaries. I think they're in a different tier than Akeem as far as all-time resumes. I would take Larry's best three-year stretch over Magic's, but I think what Magic did in this one year, ramping up his scoring to this level, carrying a team that, yeah, it was a good supporting cast, of course, but this is not like what he had in 85 when you still had real star Kareem and you had, obviously, a budding James Worthy who was really good. It was not of that caliber. You have Byron Scott, who's really good, obviously, but just not on that all-time level. He made that the best offense of all time, and I don't know how many other players ever do that. I have nothing like you. I have. I completely agree, Carson. Oh, hey, thanks, man. I mean, you hit that right on the head. And while I conveniently looked away from supporting cast for some of my other entries, uh-huh. uh, supporting cast had a huge factor into playing in why I have Magic uh, super high on this mm. list uh, as some qualities you mentioned. I guess I don't know. It's just weird considering you have like guys like Shaq higher. I don't know. I I, I value Magic's playmaking and pure yeah. passing a little higher than. Just the value that he can make anybody better on his squad. That is why he is uh, so much higher for me. I just really think, and we keep coming back specifically to Shaq, that yes, he's not going to put up the assist numbers, but he has kind of like a reverse Steph effect in that whereas Steph is going to drag everybody out, he is going to create so much more spacing that way. Shaq is going to collapse everybody on him. And by the way, you're still not going to be able to stop him, but he's going to be able to kick out of shooters and make those reads and open stuff up for Kobe and all that. And by the way, he led one of the greatest teams ever with a supporting cast that just was not of that caliber. I'll talk about Shaq, though. We're still not there, are we, Logan? No, we're not. All right, so as we get into the top five, who do you have fifth? Um, It's a guy you've already brought up. Uh, I have Larry Bird from 1986 in uh, the spot. He had to make my top five, man. I felt like him, even though we were looking at the individual seasons, and I guess, again, supporting cast does come into play here. Bird mm-hmm. was surrounded by a bunch of great pieces. I wanted, I wanted a guy with a really deep skill set, and Bird is... Certainly that. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
the, one of the most transcendent playmakers in NBA history. He could do everything, a great rebounder, a tremendous shooter at this point. Um, in the regular season, he puts up 26-9-7 and seven in the playoffs, 26-9-8. and eight. Take out the Bulls in three, Hawks in five, Bucks in four, and then Rockets in six. And in the finals, he puts up 24-9-9, and uh, nine, almost going for 10 in both of those. Carson, he's one of five guys to put up 25-9-8 and eight in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, in the playoffs. Big O did it twice. LeBron did it three times. Russell Westbrook in 2017 did it once. What was the field goal percentage, though, on that year from Russ? I'll look that up, and then we'll debunk <laughs> it. Um, Jokic did it in 2019, and Luka did it this past year in 2020. Only one of them had a better true shooting percentage than Larry, and that's 2018 LeBron. And when you look specifically at the finals, it's an all-time great finals performance, which I really do value. I think it really matters. Magic only put up 24-9 in the finals, along with MJ, Steph, LeBron, and Jimmy Butler. And Bird and LeBron are the only two to put up 24-9-9 in the finals specifically. It's one of the greatest finals performances of all time. 86 Bird was one of the best shooters of all time when he really ramped up, and this is what I think the big selling point in 86 Bird is, he ramped up his production from three. He was up to near three a night, which in the past he hadn't been. He had been Mm -hmm. shooting one or two a night, and I really think that matters. He was up uh, higher percentage-wise as well while continuing to be a transcendent rebounder, uh, playmaker, and defender. I don't know. I think his skill set is unparalleled compared with a lot of these other guys. I think that absolutely, as far as offensive versatility is transcendent, but I also think when you're talking about some of the great big men of all time, what you can't understate is the two-way impact that Larry just didn't and couldn't have had, but also he just wasn't an elite defender positionally regardless. And I think that that is in some ways an evening of the playing field between those guys. But yes, the margins here are slim. I can't complain about you having Larry Fifth. Can I ask, did you consider, I mean, this is kind of jumping the gun, I guess, for our honorable mentions. Did you consider Kawhi at all? Definitely not. Well, okay, I guess he wandered into my mind when I was desperately thinking about what I was going to do with my 10 spot because postseason-wise, there's definitely a case. But regular season wasn't quite up to par, but yeah, I don't know, man. If you're going to take a 2017 KD, then there is a case to be made probably for a 2019 Kawhi. He should be on the honorable mention list, but God, there are so many great seasons. I told you I wanted to do a top 50 when we started actually looking through the names for this pot. You said you didn't want to do that. I'm totally down to doing 11 through 50 one day. Maybe we go 11 through 20, 21 through 30, 31 through 40. And we do a much better version than Kevin Pelton, who didn't have 1977 Bill Walden on his top 74. Carson, what are you talking about? How did you not have 1949 George Mikan on your list? What's okay, wrong with you? I'll be honest. As much as I love the history of basketball, before Bill Russell and Wilt come in, like, obviously, I'm familiar with everything. But those guys generally are not going to make strong cases for my list. It's like, yeah, Mikan was dominant absolutely dynasty time in minneapolis but screw off (laughs) uh okay by the way i did just look up the actual stat for russ the field goal percentage was 38.8 and the three-point percentage was 26.5 and the result was a loss in five games to of course the houston rockets led by james harden who russ robbed of mvp that season go check out my video on that if you want to on that and a number of other controversial mvp races okay so in my five spot I have Magic's signature running mate, but of course, from before they were paired up together, you had 71 Kareem. I have 71 Kareem here at five. Dominated the MVP race, got 133 of 153 votes, was second team all defense. As you mentioned, 32-16-3 on 58% from the field. And just the greatest big man scorer ever, along with maybe Shaq, but as you mentioned, a more refined skill set, just completely unstoppable. Elite skill out of the post. 
top-end athleticism, and an unreal rim protector. I wish we did have the blocks per game, but when you watch what footage you can find from 71, he's completely altering everything down there. He has length, size that just puts him a class above everybody else, and Wilt is the same way. Physically, when you look at those guys, everybody just looks so outmatched by them, and so the defensive value can't understate. The Bucks were 66-16, and 16, Number one in offensive rating, number one in defensive rating. It's one of the best teams ever. They were even more dominant in the playoffs where they lost two games. And you see his defensive impact there. Holds Nate Thurmond to 37% shooting. That's older Nate Thurmond, but still Nate Thurmond, who was a relevant part of that team. Then he holds Wilt to 22 points per game on under 49% from the field in the Western Conference Finals in a series in which Jerry West did not play. And so you can say, well, this was an era in which Wilt had dialed down his scoring a little bit. Yes, but when you don't have West... That's the time to try to take it up a notch, and he could not do so efficiently, and Kareem was really a primary reason for that. And then in the finals, you mentioned 27 points per game on 60% plus shooting. I do think it's worth noting, did that versus Wes Unseld as well, one of the great defensive bigs of this time, who definitely physically was just a little bit outmatched by Kareem as well. So yeah, I guess that when you're comparing him to a Magic I would say that there's a couple things that stand out. It's the two-way impact. It's the utter unstoppability as a score, and it is the dominance of this team. Like, yes, the 87 Lakers were completely dominant as well. Who had the stronger supporting cast? I actually still think it's probably the 87 Lakers because of the depth of talent. I mean, Big O, obviously, not his absolute peak, but still a all-NBA-level player. Bobby Dandridge, an absolute bucket. And then after that, you get into the John McLaughlins of the world, and it's like, how is this one of the greatest teams of all time? Because they had peak Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I will say, 1980 Kareem, I think, makes a smidgen of a case because he was so unreal in those playoffs. I think was averaging 31 a game. Through the finals, was averaging 34 a game. Gets hurt, though. If you're not on the floor when your team wins the title, can you be there? I don't know. So that's why I think it has to be 71 Kareem. Athletically, he was just on a different level, too. And he did it with less help. But he's in my top five spot. I think that although... Oftentimes, people will say it's the longevity that makes him a top three player of all time or whatever. The peak is right up there as well. So you're not a Lucius Allen, a Dick Cunningham guy? Actually, Lucius Allen, not a bad player. Not as much of a Dick Cunningham guy. I'm not, I don't appreciate the John McLaughlin slander either. No, that's not slander. I'm just saying, think about who Magic's fourth guy was. It was Byron Scott. And then Michael Cooper. Actually, Michael Cooper was probably better than Byron Scott because he was maybe the best defensive player in the world. Yeah, um... It's funny because... And I haven't even mentioned Kurt Rambis. It's funny because Magic is at my uh, number four spot okay. here, so it's interesting, the uh, contrast. I agree with you completely. I don't think Magic had the defensive value, no way, of what Kareem yeah. was doing, protecting the rack. I just think that Magic made so... Magic did so much more for his teammates in making them better, and I guess I valued that a little more than Kareem's uh, offensive output for himself. Again, I'm not saying that Kareem didn't mm-hmm. help his teammates. Again, he commanded a lot of attention in the post because of what he did down there, but I just thought Magic's gravity as a passer and playmaker, it meant a little more to me. Well, I think that that's what makes it tight, but I also think Magic is not just, like, not a significant plus defensively. He's probably a minus, and Kareem was maybe the best defensive player in basketball at this point, and so I think that that's a huge gap that you can't overstate. But yeah, you can make a case either way. It's very close. I'm not going to push your buttons on that um, one. And I want to say, man, for some reason, I had like an irrational affinity with really wanting to go with 1989 for Magic. <laughs> was, I don't like that. He was like shooting, you know, 30% from three at a higher true shooting percentage and more assists per game. He still got to the finals with a good roster and with 41-year-old Kareem. Uh, but I mean, he was a little more spry. He won MVP and and the finals. It did make sense to go with that one. Um, 
This one specifically, you've broke it down already, Carson. They lost three games all playoffs, went 65 and 17. And like I said, man, Magic is one of the most versatile weapons offensively we've ever seen. He could play all five positions. He could do everything well on the floor. He had a well-developed post game. He was a good shooter. He was a transcendent playmaker, the greatest passer of all time. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, again, back directly to Kareem. I just I thought his gravity on offense meant a little more. But I completely agree. Maybe I should have held his uh, maybe I should have held his defensive liability. Uh, not liability. It's not like Magic was a hard defender, but compared uh-huh. to Kareem, there's a drastic contrast. And yeah. At the end of the day, you're talking about a guy who compelled the greatest offense of all time. That's pretty impressive. So, no hard feelings for you having Magic at four. Who's your four spot? So, my number four spot, Logan, I think. I'm doing the math in my head as I always do when we get down to it. I think this guy might not be on your list at all. I hate when this happens. I have Wilt Chamberlain from 1967. Yeah, I don't have Wilt on my list. Okay, so I will get into it. So, obviously, I actually just a few weeks ago, or a little over a month ago now... Made a video on why Wilt's 1962 campaign was not the greatest offensive season of any big man ever, why it was really Nikola Jokic this year, and it wasn't about why Wilt's wasn't, but I had to address that, because as remarkable as Wilt's was in 1962, as that volume score, that was not the best Wilt ever was. That was a year in which, really, he was forced to play that role because of lack of strong teammates, because of a coach who I would argue didn't really know how to maximize his value, and because maybe he didn't even know how to maximize his value. So I think that there were times in which Wilt was much more efficient, infinitely better playmaking, better defensively even, and I think that's what we saw all come together in 67, because he was just able to focus on that defense more too, as we saw in the late 60s, and then obviously into the 70s on those Lakers teams. So, his production, 24-24-8 on 68.3% shooting, and when I talk about the efficiency, you have to remember, he's shooting 68% as a volume scorer in an era in which the league average was 44%, and Logan, his field goal percentage was 16% better than second place in the entire NBA. The second most efficient player shot 52%, he shot 68%, and his team had the number one offensive basketball, a top three defense, they went 68-13, and and Wilt, of course, won MVP, and I just think this was the ultimate winning adjustment. He stopped taking as many tough fadeaways that he had to take in his early years when he was just trying to carry the brunt scoring. And he just took hyper-efficient offense that came to him as a scorer. He's dunking more. He's taking those quick-hitting stuff around the rim. And also, really understood how to maximize his value this year. Was a playmaking hub out of the post. It's almost pass-first when you watch him play. He's looking for really to run handoffs or to kick the shooters at every chance, or he's running fake handoffs even, like stuff that is really reminiscent of what we see out of a Jokic type today that he had not been doing anything similar to in 62. And he's not making crazy impressive reads, like even though he's averaging eight assists per game, I don't think he's the kind of passer that a Bill Walden even was, for example. But the volume was there, and he was able to have those kind of assist numbers because he was so terrifying as a scorer and so efficient there, and he just understood how to maximize that this year, and then also really focused on the rim protection, and was always a phenomenal shot blocker. People will tell you about how he probably blocked 10 shots a game. I legitimately believe that he was up in that range. Him and Russell were that absurd, and he was never as agile in some ways as Russell, and I'm not talking about pure quickness running down the court. I'm talking about sort of the ability to move laterally, or certainly as intelligent as Russell, who just had this really supernatural ability to perceive what was going on around him and anticipate when a guy was going to go up with a shot and really understand everything that was going on around him. But his pure length and his ability vertically and his strength and all that just made him an absolute game-changing rim protector, one of the best ever. So he changed everything on that side of the floor as well. 
in the playoffs, put up 22, 29, and 9, Logan, 9 assists per game on 58% from the field, was the third leading scorer on the team. And that's where you can say he had a great supporting cast. And he did. And that's why I think the 67 Sixers are one of the five or so greatest teams of all time. That's not necessarily something that is to be held against him, I don't think, because he also amplified those guys. And yeah, they're really good, but are we going to hold Hal Greer and Billy Cunningham and Wally Jones against him and say that team was too stacked and then also reward Larry Bird? I don't think that that's fair. They were really good. And I think that's worth noting, but also he helped make them better. And then in the finals, 18, 29, and 7. As I mentioned, even further here, he's the fifth leading scorer on his team in the finals, but I really don't think you can hold that much against him because everything still ran through him. The gravity is all dependent on him. He's making those plays out of the post. And I don't want to be the guy who says, Wilt, it wasn't really as impressive as people make it out to be when you scored 50 a game, as impressive as it was, but it's not like the greatest season ever. And then also say, when you're willing to take a chip out of your scoring to focus on playmaking and focus on defense. And by the way, he held Nate Thurmond, who at this point was really at his peak or close to it, to 14 points per game on 34% shooting. I don't want to be the guy who says, Wilt, that's not good enough for me either. I think this is the best Wilt we ever saw. I don't think it's close. It's so much better than Lakers' Wilt. I think it's better, maybe not as far as pure physical ability or whatever than 62 Wilt, but as far as his understanding of the game and his ability to drive winning. And I think it is one of the five greatest seasons ever. All of these factors are reasonable. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, I think that the assist argument is huge. Mm-hmm. I think the efficiency argument is even bigger, though. You yeah. talk about the drastic stylistical change. Wilt went from shooting 25 times a night to 14. Yeah. And it was for the betterment of the team. And, like, mm-hmm. I, again, you could pick one of the previous years uh, that he was in the league because of him, what he was athletically. That doesn't matter. This stylistical Wilt was the best ever, and honestly— I don't know, man. You've made some really good cases for Akeem and Wilt. Like, I'm... Thank you. That's what I'm here uh, for, man. Yeah, We're here I, to make each other learn. Dude, I feel like I've I feel like I've done both of them a slight discredit. Um, Wilt a little more so, man. Nine assists in the finals. Yeah, nine assists in the playoffs. And that's, and that's just... I don't know, man. I feel like that's buried when people talk about Wilt. I guess because his, the misconception is he was this dominant scorer. And he, and he was. He was dominant right. scorer, rebounder, and post-presence. But when, that's that people think of that as the best Wilt ever. This is and by people, far. And people talk about how he led the league in assists just because he could and to prove that he could. And I think that's something that I've even said before. But that's really not what it was. Maybe he said that, and yeah, maybe there was an egotistical element to it. But it was best for his team. It's how he amplified his teammates. And it's really a remarkable season. So... Yeah, I thought about having it lower. There was a time when I had it like eight, but then I was like, that just doesn't feel right considering his all-around offensive impact and defensively what he was doing and how great this team was. I just had to reward that. The only thing I thought about was like, well, he's the fifth leading scorer in the finals. Does that matter? Whereas Kareem, that would be inconceivable. It wasn't enough for me ultimately when you consider still a really good scorer, still a game-changing defender, everything I've already touched on. All right, so we're into the top three now, Logan. Who do you have third? At number three, uh, I'm coming in spicy like a Chick-fil-A sandwich here, Carson. Uh, I've got Steph Curry from 2016 at my three spot, and it'll be interesting to see how I love these. I love when I put Nikola Jokic on my list and I make the anti-Jokic man make the negative take. Nah, I'm not even going to tolerate that as a joke for a second. None of that. Now I get to see this. this war- take it back. I get to see this Warriors fan argue <laughs> against 2016 Steph. Obviously, we know the history. The Warriors average the most assists per game in the NBA. They have the best defense in the league. They go 73-9. and nine. Steph puts up 30 points per game a night, leads the NBA in scoring, leads the NBA in uh, free throw percentage, is the most efficient scorer 
<laughs> like we've ever seen. Puts up two steals a night in the playoffs. They run through the Rockets in five, the Blazers in five, the Thunder in seven, and then they blow the 3-1 lead to the Cavs, which you're, I want to get into the counters to why people may not want Steph up here first before I get into I feel like I can provide those, but go ahead. Do you want to? Would you no, like? I'll do it after. Oh, you'll just add on. Thanks. I'll shred. Um, people could say he wasn't as impactful defensively as other people's, and that's a valid criticism. Warriors were still seven points better per 100 possessions with Steph on the floor, so I would still say he was a plus. He was engaged. Again, he led the league in steals. Um, They blew a 3-1 lead in the finals, and he didn't perform nearly as well in the finals. I'll concede that. He put up 23-5-4 on 40-90 and splits. Again, those are are valid concerns. I would say that Steph wasn't as impactful in the finals. Maybe you can hold that against him. I would just say the regular season and playoff beast that we saw in Steph— I think was the most dominant offensive force ever because of how he weaponized the three ball. He's the greatest shooter ever. He is the best off-ball mover and shooter off the catch ever, nearly 48%. He's a great playmaker. This Warriors team, Carson, this season was better, uh, 21 points better per 100 possessions with him on the floor. They had the greatest offense of all time with Steph on the floor. Steph was shooting 69% true shooting percentage. Uh, the highest for a player that averaged 30 or more points per game. He had the highest true shooting percentage ever for a player that averaged 20 or more points per game. He had the fifth highest three-point percentage for a player that averaged 20 points per game or more while attempting double the threes of all four guys ahead of him on that list. True shooting percentage covers this, but I still want to reiterate. Steph attempted over 800 threes and shot better than 50% from the field. He made 402 three-pointers, an NBA record. Only three players have shot better than 50% from the field, attempting 400 or more threes. That's KD, Braun, and Zach Levine. Again, though, they're shooting half the threes that Steph is. Steph weaponized that shot in a way that we've never seen before, and that matters. I will take the greatest shooter of all time in, I think, his best individual season of all time any day. And I think, I don't know, I value that more than a Shaq, than a Magic, than a Kareem. I value that uh, more than any of those guys. So Steph is number three on my list for all of those reasons. He was just unprecedented as an offensive force in this league. It sucks that you're making me do this because I agree with a lot of what you said. I just think that you have overlooked that he failed in the ultimate objective of the season. And for me, we're rating the best seasons. If we were doing, okay, can we run the simulation of, I want this version of this player and I can redo the season a hundred times and how many outcomes do I get that I like? I'm taking Steph Curry in my top 10. I may be taking Steph Curry in my top five, but he did not achieve the ultimate objective. And it's not even like you can say he did everything he could have. This is not Jerry West of the 1960s. Steph didn't go supernova. And yeah, he was injured and he was banged up and that's fair, but he legitimately underperformed in the biggest moments. And you can brush off those finals numbers and say, Okay, you know, 23 a game or whatever. That's not that terrible. On 40% from the field, coming from the standard we expected from him, where you have more turnovers than assists, only 3.7 assists per game, just not nearly the level that we came to expect from him. And when I'm talking about guys who, in many cases, single-handedly carried their teams past the finish line or had unparalleled two-way impact, and Steph didn't end up doing that, I don't think I can reward him. Again, regular season, maybe the best ever. There's a reason he was the first unanimous MVP ever. There should have been a handful before him, but it's so funny how they let regional guys vote to where the guy from Washington would just say, I actually think that Wes Unseld was MVP this year, every year. And that's stupid, and there should have been guys before Steph. But there was no question about that. It's just when you don't actually perform in the biggest moments, 
and you don't achieve the ultimate objective, that to me does not go down as one of the best seasons of all time. Best regular season, sure, but you cement every season by doing what is the only thing that really matters when all is said and done. And I don't want to be overly binary with it. And thank goodness Steph has gotten three rings in his career, so we don't have to look at it that way for his career as a whole. But in this season, they failed in that objective. Of course, and you know how circumstantial that finals loss was, though. Yeah, but Steph certainly did his fair share in getting them to that point. I mean, I am a big activist, that's not the right word, advocate in saying, yeah, if Harrison Barnes doesn't have one of the worst series ever, and if Andrew Bogut doesn't get hurt, and all of that can be true, they win the title. And if Draymond is there. Yeah, how about if Steph actually plays well in the biggest games, though? You admitted that Steph was injured. Yeah, but like, not to the point where he can't be out there, Logan. And regardless, you leave a resume. We're not going to delve into hypotheticals here, in my opinion. What happened, happened. And yeah, if we run 100 simulations, it doesn't happen that many times. And the Warriors maybe go down as the best team ever, and they win the championship. And maybe this would be number three on my list all time. But that didn't happen. And so the value that Steph has, transporting him from one season to another, and saying, all right, let's just have him play at this level again, what's going to happen, is immense. I would never deny his gravity. I literally just made a video on why... He is doing what should be impossible this season, and he was that much better in 2016 until the playoffs and until the finals. For me, in my opinion, what he did from behind the arc was unprecedented, and to just wipe that away, I get what you're saying. I'm not wiping it away. That you needed the cap, but to just say that doesn't matter what he did during the regular season. I didn't say that. I have 10 spots. And I have not given a spot to anybody who did not win a title, which is the ultimate objective. And that's it for me. I mean, look. There are some insane regular seasons of all time. 2004, Kevin Garnett, an insane regular season. It's not Steph, but it's better than some regular seasons on my list. But you have a job to do at the end of the day, and that's what Steph didn't do. So look, I'm fine having him on a list. I definitely considered him at my 10 spot. I'm not comfortable putting him higher than that, though, especially considering how much we've talked about waiting postseason performance. Is there a middle ground where he's seven on your list or whatever? No. Just because you think it was the greatest regular season ever, do you have it literally it number is, one? It is the value I place on the three ball and scoring efficiency. And I don't know, man. Steph epitomized that this season. That that above all yeah. else is what really matters to me in in basketball, man. If you can shoot... I think winning is what matters in basketball. I'm, I don't know. Yes, obviously winning is all that matters in any sport. And being I, a dude, good sport. Dude, I set myself up for that one, bro. And threw, being a good sport. I threw you the law, <laughs> boss. What am I doing? I'm selling my own argument. Look, <laughs> I think that we've already said what's going to be said here. I think that I can understand how people could fall on either side of the aisle here. And yeah, if we're taking a version of a player from this one season, he's going top 10 in my draft. But that's not what I'm doing here. Maybe, maybe that is what okay. more I... Maybe that's the fundamental difference between right. me, my and your list. Fair enough. My number three, though, is the guy who has been much discussed. Unsurprisingly, we're going to have the same two guys in our top two. It's just a matter of the order. I think you can all probably figure out who. But I do have Shaq from 2000. So, you really touched on the raw stats, but I'll just remind people because it was a while ago because you had him so low. Scoring champ this year, 29.7 points per game, 13.6 boards, 3.8 assists, 3 blocks per game on 57.5% from the field. I believe that led the league as well. Lakers were 67-15. and 15. They had the number 5 offense, the number 1 defense. They were 11 points per 100 better with him. And I just don't think we've ever seen somebody be this completely unstoppable. That's basically what it comes down to. An automatic double out of the post. He could dissect that. He would probably just body you anyways. 
an elite lob threat out of the pick and roll. And again, just creating such high quality opportunities for everybody around him. An elite pure rim protector, not mobile defensively, but elite pure rim protector. And he was second team all defense because of that. And he did this with Kobe at 21 years old, averaging just 22 and a half points per game in the playoffs. You mentioned 31, 15 and a half and three on 57% from the field. Lakers were 23 points per 100 better with him than without him. That tells you the value to this team. I mean, this supporting cast is just not all time by any stretch of the imagination. And yet they're one of the greatest teams ever. And then in the finals, you put up 38 and 17 on 61% from the field. Your lowest scoring game is 33. You lead every single game in scoring. You lead each game, but one in rebounds. Meanwhile, Kobe averages 15.6 points per game misses a game entirely and you don't miss a beat and you dominate regardless and you are just head and shoulders above everybody else in basketball at this time, I think that that's all that really needs to be said. I think that Shaq showed his value by being an indomitable force every single time in the finals, in the biggest moments, and that's his case basically. Short but sweet. It's just finals dominance like we've almost never seen and regular season dominance. And overall playoff dominance, yeah. Right. I, like I said, I toyed with Shaq having him all the way up to up to four, man. Uh, I just thought, I don't know, man. I feel like I looked at the, I just, our criteria is different. I looked at it as what guys I guess I would want to have more uh-huh. in a way. What about the value of just willing your team to a title? Something that Shaq could do and Steph could not. Like, he literally could just put up 35 and 15 on a, on a dime. Has anybody else ever been able to do that, Logan? Not to my knowledge. I'm thinking about the, that time that Akeem got shut down, you know, by, I mean, uh, Mag, uh, yeah. Shaq got shut down by Akeem, you know? And some of you guys in 95, oh, he was a different player. Some of you guys might be thinking, well, couldn't Wilt do that? Not in the playoffs. Go look up Wilt's playoff stats. For the most part, dropped off precipitously. Another little indication about how his early career scoring was not quite as impressive as you might think. My man broke out the five-syllable word on Nerd Sesh. Precipitously? Respect. Thanks, man. Um, I don't really, I mean, I can't really push back against Shaq at all, man. It's hard. Fair enough. Okay, so now we have arrived at the granddaddy of them all. Yes, you can see them on our lower third. This is what it tends to come down to when it comes to the greatest anything in basketball. Unless you have Wally Zerbiak from 2004 somewhere in your top two. Who do you have second? I would like to apologize uh, to a lot of people before I do this. I don't know who specifically. A lot of people are going to be mad at this one. Okay. I've got Mike from 91 uh, at my two spot. I have LeBron in my in my number one. Um, that might seem crazy. Uh, I like LeBron more as a playmaker, but I'll get into Mike first. Mike led the league in scoring, led the playoffs in scoring, uh, putting up over 31 points a night, uh, six boards and five and a half assists in the regular season. In the playoffs, he ramps it up to six boards a night and eight assists a night, and that is why I think you have to go with this 91 season over any other one. Mike was a playmaking engine like we've never seen out of him, which I guess maybe bolsters his case for an individual season against a guy like LeBron because, again, this is the best playmaking Mike we've ever seen. In the finals, he goes for 31-6-11 on 55-50-85 splits, putting him nearly three steals a night. Um, and they ran through the playoffs, man. It was not a competition. They take out the Knicks in three. They take out the Sixers in five. Game three, uh, Mike drops 46 against the Sixers. They take out the Pistons in four, and then the Lakers in five. Again, in the finals, Mike puts up 11 assists a night. Just dumb, man. It's it's unconscious. It's something we've never seen out of Mike before. He's all NBA first team. He's all defense first team. He's MVP. He's finals MVP. And as for his skill set, it's the greatest scoring skill set of all time. He's blazing fast. He's got a crazy handle. He's got, he's one of the best difficult shot makers of all time. And in that mid-range, he's 
always deadly. One of the best finishers at the rack of all time. And in this season, in 91, more than any other one later, because I think there maybe is a case for 96, 97 in there just with what they were doing as a team. Mike was at his peak athletically in 91, and that matters. In this season, Carson, Michael Jordan had 52 30-point games. He had 11 40-point games, and he was locked in defensively as well. He has the 15th highest true shooting percentage of any player to average 30 or more points per game, and he's only uh, and there's only two players to have averaged 30 of 10 in the finals, LeBron in 2017 and 2018, and MJ this year in 91. Um, Mike was exceptional this year, and I just think when you couple everything that changed about his game comparative to in the future, that he was more driven to play make this season, and with where he was athletically, I think that's why you have to go with 91, but I'll get into why I uh, have LeBron higher uh, here in a minute. Okay, so I have 2013 LeBron in my second spot, and I guess that we can kind of just open the floor for a free-for-all at this point after I really give the basic case for LeBron in this spot. So, the Heat were 66-16. and 16. They were 61-15 and 15 when LeBron played. He put up 27-8 and 7.3, did so on a true shooting percentage of 64. It's the 12th most efficient scoring season of anybody to ever score as many points per game as LeBron did this year. The Heat were 15.3 points per 100 better with him on the floor. They outscored opponents by 13.2 points per 100 with him out there on the floor. Unconscious marks. He got 120 of 121 MVP votes. Would have been the first unanimous MVP. Should have been a unanimous MVP. But alas, somebody thought it would be funny to vote for Melo, and so they did. First team all defense. I think this is the best he ever was defensively. Having that value as sort of a secondary rim protector. Obviously always capable of dominating defensively on the perimeter as well. And this was just... I would say in some ways, I don't know if I could say that actually, but it was such a freakish blend of athleticism as far as bringing the superb quickness that had defined his early years with just the unmatched strength, obviously. And that's what we saw from LeBron in the heat days that we didn't see as much in Cleveland, where it was just blazing first step, unreal finishing around the rim, but he couldn't bully guys like he could at this point in his career. Also was a different jump shooter, obviously, 42.5% on jump shots this year, better than 40% from three and also still finishing 78% of his shots at the rim and just could be that kind of in transition off ball filling the lane lob threat could be dynamic there and could also be your point guard bulldozing people with un unreal gravity sucking people into the paint obviously creating so many opportunities for high percentage looks for everybody around him he could close for you because of his improved jump shooting he could just do it all and in the playoffs was really good. 26, 8.5, and 6.5 on 49, 37.5, 78 splits. In the finals, 25, 11, and 7 on 45% from the field, 35% from three. Here's why I don't have him number one, I guess. When I compare his campaign to Mike, I think there's a lot of areas in which you can argue, man, they are so close at their peaks, and you can say, okay, Mike's edge in scoring is canceled out by LeBron's edge in playmaking or whatever. Probably not as much in the playoffs mm -hmm. this year, but in the regular season, there's a case to be made. You can say defensively, they're so close. Mike is going to have more of that playmaking value, but he's also going to take more gambles. LeBron's going to have a little more versatility. If I want one guy to guard their position one-on-one, -on -one, maybe I take Mike. It's so close between them in that respect. I guess to me, it's just this season, Mike decisively put away of everybody who was in front of him. And LeBron very nearly could have slipped up in a couple of these series. Now against the Pacers, you go seven. That's not really his fault. He was outstanding in that series. Chris Bosh was a non-factor, and Bosh was kind of a non-factor again in the finals. I think that he had zero in game seven, if I'm not mistaken, or game six. It was one of those two where he just absolutely laid an egg. But 
LeBron doesn't score 20 in the first three games of this series, doesn't do so efficiently, really isn't efficient throughout the series at all. And yeah, we're nitpicking here. He was fantastic in the biggest moments. He also obviously missed a big three that could have sent that game to overtime. Like, I guess it's just the margins were slimmer. And this is kind of the theme throughout their careers, if you will. LeBron has the longevity. He has the individual value at his peak that is obviously so tremendous. But Mike was going to assassinate everybody and put them away comfortably. And yeah, it's not like just, ooh, no game seven versus six losses in the finals or whatever. But these are things that actually do exist. And this was a year in which it kind of came up to the fate of the people around LeBron to compel him to win. And that was not the case for Mike. And so when the skill sets are so close, that's kind of a tiebreaker. The deciding factor for me was actually something that rationally cannot be held against Mike. Okay. And it was LeBron's proficiency from deep. And I just, you in the three-point shot. Dude, I know. Okay. It's, let me just I know, push back I know on that. Because can, can, I, can I get into okay. it? Give, give me a second. Let, yeah. let, let it breathe a little, Carson. Um, That's fair. I was pushing back before you made the points. <laughs> we already know LeBron is one of the greatest playmakers of all time. Yeah. I would say one or two, whether you're going between him or Magic Johnson, I say I would say that he's at very close to his peak here. Or you could argue as a playmaker. I don't know. LeBron might be at his peak now. I don't know. The yeah. guy just keeps getting better. Anyway, back to the point. It was the most efficient scoring we had seen from mm-hmm. LeBron. He was 78% inside three feet. And yep. I want to give, for context, that's even better than 2,000 Shaq. He shot 40% from behind the arc, which, again, irrationally, I am holding against Mike, but LeBron did have that weapon in his tool bag. And he shot 40% from mid-range. These are all totals that LeBron has never hit the rest of his career. He has never hit all of those numbers in any other season ever. Uh And he was also at his peak defensively, as you mentioned, Carson, the 64% true shooting percentage. um, He was just at his peak as a scorer, as efficiently, at his peak playmaking, at his peak defensively. That is why I picked this season. But just specific to Mike, it was... Uh, yeah, I guess on a fundamental part, the three-pointer the three pointer was a part of it, but it was LeBron's a better playmaker than Mike, which I guess you can push back on with uh, uh-huh. MJ's numbers. It was his scoring efficiency that we've never seen like uh, from LeBron. I guess I would agree with you. We've never seen it from LeBron, but I also just think that as a scorer, I still don't think they're comparable. LeBron is probably a top-five scorer of all time, but Jordan is still comfortably number one, although I think KD is also in a tier of his own at that number two spot. But I have Jordan from 91 in the one spot. Is there anything else you want to say about LeBron from 2013 before I make my case? No, I'm straight. So I think that I've touched on it a lot. It's just in some ways the margin and the decisiveness, but I also think that that can be an oversimplification and there are external factors there. I will say, if we're comparing supporting casts, I think that you definitely have to lean Miami in that respect, obviously. Even if Bosch didn't play at a star level night to night, he certainly did have a profound impact on the game. And D-Wade is not going to compare to Scottie Pippen at all. Honestly, maybe if you're looking at the top couple guys around them, it is comparable because Horace Grant, pretty darn good third guy. But then I just think the depth of talent in Miami at that point with Abadier, with the Ray Allen, was on a different level. Abadier came up huge in this series, and obviously so did Ray Allen, believe it or not. But if you look at what Michael did, so you mentioned it in the regular season, 31.5 per game, 6'5.5". 54% for the field is a number that stands out to me. Like, yes, the true shooting percentage is not going to be what LeBron's was, Part of that is the obviously popularization of the three-point shot. Part of it is also the quality of looks that LeBron is getting because he's playing alongside a really gifted playmaker in Dwayne Wade and can do a little bit more 
of that stuff than MJ could, who still had to be such a primary creator for himself, although he's in the triangle at this point. But I mean, I may be, I may be mistaken. I mean, Scotty was up near, Scotty was putting up 10 assist nights in, in the finals and stuff. In the finals? I mean, regardless, Scotty's a fantastic playmaker. Yeah, but I mean, I just think that Jordan I mean, was always... I'm just saying that if you're going to give D-Wade props for being a good assist okay, man, you've yeah. got to give Scotty the this same is, props. That's fine, I will. This is not a significant part of my argument regardless. I would just say <laughs> MJ was super efficient, LeBron was super efficient, and I think that it's tough to compare raw efficiency from errors because everybody's more efficient across the board. I don't know what their efficiency was compared to the average that year. That's a stat I like to pull out, though, because I think it's more telling generally. But in the playoffs... The Bulls go 15-2, and two, and I also think defensively you see MJ's value. They didn't just sweep the Pistons. He kept Joe Dumars, who had scored 23.5 points per game over the first two series, to 12.5 on 35% from the field. And yeah, didn't guard Magic for the majority of the finals. He kind of guarded a combination of people. Byron Scott, who was basically shut out but was also injured. A little bit of James Worthy. And when he did guard Magic, was pretty creative in it, taking a bunch of gambles but kind of forcing him to act quickly and forced a decent amount of turnovers guarding him out of the post, even though Magic sometimes cooked him as well because he was going to take those gambles. But yeah, this is, I would say, the best finals ever from MJ. And I know that he averaged 42 a game, but I have never seen him dissect defenses like he did here, where he scores 31 a game on 56% shooting, also averages 11.5 assists per game, and is just making point guard reads. And it's why I think we undersell his playmaking so much, not just because of his gravity as a scorer, but because of his actual ability to make those reads he was absurd. So this was about as efficient as he ever was. Still a freak athlete. The Bulls were utterly dominant. And this was the best playmaking Jordan we ever saw. And I will take that over LeBron, who had to barely sneak by basically to get his title. Okay, you say that. I do yeah. want to touch on something revolving around the supporting cast. So yeah. I don't want to just gift this to LeBron that he had the better support. Like, no, in, I agree. In, it's a not a huge difference. Because I agree. He did. But with what he was getting out of his top two guys, MJ is getting Scotty every night over 50% from the field. Yeah. Horace Grant is over 58% from the field. Yeah. In this specific playoff series, D Wade's giving you 45%, 16 points. Bosch is giving you 12 points a night. Mm-hmm. LeBron, like the reason that he just got by in the playoffs was not just because of him, it was because of D Wade okay. and Bosch not giving nearly as much as Grant and Pippen were giving. Okay, let me ask you this. How does this sound Bro, are you just going to bring up Ray Allen's three and Bosch's board? No. I'm going to talk about LeBron in the first few games of the finals. So, game one, it's a close loss. He puts up 18, 18, and 10. That's a pretty good all-around game. Now, the rebounding number maybe makes that game sound a little bit more impressive, but still not the kind of dominant, efficient score maybe you would look for. But that's one game. Game two, 17 on 7 of 17 shooting. And that's a win for them. Game three, a blowout loss, 15 on 7 of 21. I just don't think you can pick out games like that from MJ. Now we're drilling an entire season down to a finals, which I don't know is totally fair, but I do think it's relevant. So, I mean, like, what do you think of my point, though? When you compare what Bosch and Wade were giving them compared to Grant and uh, Pippen. I don't think it's really enough to justify the fact that MJ was still just better. Compare their performance in the finals and the playoffs, and MJ was still just better. Okay, Okay. Um, yeah. I guess we just fundamentally disagree then. I guess we do, but do you really... I mean, you disagree about who was better in the finals? No, I don't disagree about okay. who was better in the finals specifically. I'm just talking about... I don't know. I guess what we value here. Interesting. Are you thinking like who you would take to start a team? <laughs> that's, an, I mean, that's an interesting okay. way to look at it. Because but... like... I mean, honestly, that's part of the conversation for me. It's all part of the conversation, and I'm still taking MJ. 
I'm just, I like LeBron's, this has been moreover skill set for me was the deciding factor. And I just felt LeBron in this had a little more, had some more tools in his bag. I just think MJ can still will his team to victory in a way that LeBron can. Okay. And I fundamentally disagree, though, that it was all LeBron's fault, though, that this, that I this playoff run. I didn't say that. So- yeah. did I say no, no, that, no. Logan? But you implied it, Carson. I literally said Chris Bosh had zero points in a massive game. I didn't imply that. I just said that we've never even seen MJ get close. While LeBron limped to his victory, right? LeBron was fantastic in the last three games. Okay, thank you, thank you. We'll leave it at that. We're nitpicking, Logan. We're picking between the two greatest players ever in their two in their greatest seasons, respectively. All right. <laughs> Honorable mentions. Who do you have? Um, like I said, the first guy off for me was Kobe. Um, it was uh-huh. it was a super tough cut. Like I said, uh, led the NBA in playoffs. Um, led the NBA. In playoffs. <laughs> oh, really? How do you do that? Dude, I don't know. <laughs> led led the playoffs in scoring. Um, like I said, uh, Shaq was just. Shaq was still a beast, was not the same beast that we had known. Again, Kobe leads him in all but two games in scoring. He was insanely efficient. 1962, Bill Russell was a very close cut. Um, I'm going to leave you, KG, from 04. I know you're a nut mm. about that season, and you're going to want to get into that. Uh, I left Wilt. Some other close guys, Moses Malone in 83. You know, I mean, there yeah. was, was one of the greatest, uh, was part of one of the greatest duos of all time, mm-hmm. uh, if you're harking back to that episode. I considered him, honestly, Luca from this season, Luca from last season, very like I'm not saying they were very close to making my list. I think they do deserve uh, mentions. Maybe Luca from this season. He's at 37 percent from behind the arc. Yeah, um, uh, he's not going to win a finals, but he's been insane this season as well. Hakeem was a close cut, and honestly, Carson, two really tough ones. D Wade and Dirt from 2006. Um, D Wade maybe doesn't blow people out of the water with what he did in the regular season. Mm-hmm. That finals performance in 06 is one of the most underrated, one of the greatest of all time by D-Wade. I think people overrate what Shaq was giving to the Heat in that oh, time period. 100%. Yeah, Shaq was not very good at all in that series. Okay, so we have a lot of overlap. I think Moses, well, KD from 2017 was the first guy off for me because I had him on there for so long. But I thought about Moses from 83 long and hard too. And like, I definitely have just inherent Moses bias because I'll be honest, he sucks to watch. He's just like a big bowling ball who gets every rebound. And it's just like not a very good passer, not particularly skilled. So I 100% have Moses bias. But yeah, I mean, he got 69 of 75 MVP votes. It was his third MVP in five years. First team all defense, 26 and 16 in the playoffs. He just was not to be denied. And that was an amazing team. So he is certainly an honorable mention. I have 2016 Steph. I have 1977 Bill Walton, I think makes a very, very strong case. I think just because if you look at that team, they were 44 and 21 when he played. They were 5-12 and 12 without him. And by the way, that is just kind of how it was in this entire era of Blazers basketball. I mean, the next year, they're 50-8 and eight when he plays. And then, I don't know, they end up a lot worse than that. And I think that they go well below 500 in the games that they miss. But of course, this was the year in 77 that they actually did win the title. And uh, yeah, he just had incredible all-around value. The raw numbers won't compare to some of these other guys. 18.6, 14.5, and 4, 3.2 blocks per game on 53% from the field. But was the center point of the ultimate team as that playmaking presence, as that scoring presence out of the post and defensively was maybe the best in the world. That's probably too much Bill Walton talk. Yeah, for Garnett, I mean, if you just look at the team that he dragged to 58 wins and a Western Conference Finals loss in six games to the Lakers with that bum squad, it's pretty ridiculous. They were 20.7 points per 100 better with him on the floor. That's not even the best number of this era for KG, which tells you just how ridiculous his impact on winning was at this point. And average 24, 15, and 5, I think had a strong case for best player in the world at this point. I guess we'd just say 
didn't win the title, obviously, and also didn't have the high-end scoring value of some of the other guys here where he could will a team so far, but he also, you know, maybe didn't match up as far as elite elite scoring to some of these other guys. But really the reason is that he didn't win the title. That's why I don't have him for the most part. And then besides that, I think it's pretty much people you mentioned. Oh, I have 1975 Rick Barry too, just because regular season average 30 plus per game, but then obviously postseason wills that team to the title, was utterly dominant there, had a remarkable finals as he always did when he got there. So many seasons throughout NBA history that I think are worthy of discussion. You throw out 2060 Wade, I would say 090 Wade just for regular season mm-hmm. is absolutely up there. 06 Dirk is absolutely up there. 07 Dirk, if you're talking about postseason runs, 2011 Dirk even. I don't want to keep going through all of these because there are so many guys that we can throw out there, but this, this could be a long list. This is a funny topic. Would you go 06 Dirk or 2011 Dirk? Or, I mean, even, I don't know, could you... 07 oh, is probably the Dirk I, I know, would say. I but, like, didn't they, uh, weren't they the one seed and get dropped yes. off? Yes, they were indeed. I think 06-07 Dirk was a better player just because there's a little more quickness to his game. Like, he's actually taking dudes off the bounce in those days. And 2011 Dirk, not so much. I mean, a little bit, but not so much. So I think that he was better back in those days and then just found a superhuman will in 2011 to just say, yeah, we're going to win the title. It was pretty sick, not going to lie. was pretty sick. Yeah. Maybe my favorite. That was the first finals I really watched. My favorite of all time, too. Yeah, you thought Tyson Chandler won MVP. I don't, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Anybody else who deserves a shout-out? Uh, you know, 2021 head coach Luke Walton. Love it. Absolutely, he's up there. I would say 2009 Luke Walton. 2009 Trevor Ariza in the playoffs. Very Go. important role player. Um, Any regrets? That's a good question. I am kind of regretting not having KD, but I stand by my logic of as far as a full season resume goes, he is not one of the top 10. But the peak value of KD we saw in those playoffs, top 10. I would 100% regret putting Jokic on my list when I could have had <laughs> Hakeem or, you know, a, another logical selection. Seems like you're asking that question more to get your own answer in. Yeah, it's all right, man. I love the Jokic love. In fact, this guy loves Jamal Murray, another Denver Nuggets. You know, so. Traditionally in conversations, Carson, you would reciprocate and go, oh, well, Logan, do you also have any regrets? I was going to, but then you just said, yeah, I, I thought that was a terrible decision I made. Any other regrets? Shooting this podcast. I had a great time. (laughs) All right. That will do it for us here today. This was a long one, but I think it was well-deserved considering the importance of the topic that we are discussing today. As always, you can find our video breakdown content on YouTube where we crank out a bunch of stuff. I just did a video a few days ago on why Steph is basically doing the impossible. Before that, Logan did a video on why the Steelers can still win the Super Bowl with Big Ben at the helm. Go ahead and check all of that out if you're here. Peyton T. Gallagher scoffs (laughs) from across the way. I will literally elbow drop you, Peyton. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If we can just get through the outro, that would be fantastic. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter, as always, at nerd underscore sesh and on Instagram at nerd sesh. And with that, I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Peyton T. Gallagher. And this was Nerd Sesh.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.